to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. Our discussion about fine free and reduced fine libraries continues as Lacey talks with Philip Carter of the Starkville Octibaha Public Library and Tanya Johnson from the Madison County Library System. Both of these libraries are fully fine free. Lacey, Philip, and Tanya talk about the process of going fine free resistance that both of their libraries have faced in the process, and the benefits of a fine-free library. Stay tuned. Welcome, everybody, to our podcast to talk about going fine-free and having fine-free services in public libraries. I'm joined by Philip Carter with the Starkville Octibaha Public Library, as well as Tanya Johnson from the Madison County Library System. Uh, Welcome, both of you. Thank you for joining us today to talk about this. But first, I would love to ask you both uh, what drew you to working in public libraries. So, Philip, if you'd love to share a little bit of your background and what brought you to public libraries, that would be great. Sure. So I got into public libraries because a, a guy got to eat. Um, <laughs> it was it was legitimately I went back to college later in life. I had been in bar and restaurant management. Went back to college, got a music degree because somehow I thought that would make me more money than bar and restaurant management. I was wrong. So, you know, student loans come a knocking and you need a job. So I was teaching lessons at the time. I got, I applied for a job at the local public library, got a part-time job, turned out to really like it. A job opened up in my hometown for a full-time reference library position. I applied for that, then decided to get my master's degree in music. And uh, uh, life has just been a series of fortunate or unfortunate events since then. That's great. Tanya, what about you? What what draw what drew you, excuse me, to public libraries? Yeah, so kind of similar. Uh I ended up in a library in a in a roundabout way. I was a history and political science major in college and had planned to go to law school, decided that was not for me. That's not what I was really looking for. I got a job in Newton, um, city. Uh, schools as the high school and elementary, or actually high school and middle school librarian. I took the Praxis test to be able to get an emergency certificate and passed the test and ended up in the library and just fell in love with it. From the school, I ended up in public library and just sort of have stayed between school library and public library since then. But I absolutely love it. I love what I do. I, I always loved school when I was a student and loved, you know, sharing information with people and what I knew and what I learned and, and helping people find what they need and the information that they were looking for. But um, it's just uh, something that the longer I stay in it, the, the more I, I love it because there's always something more that I can do for my community and for, for our patrons and, I just find myself more and more saying it takes a village. It takes all of us, not just to raise our children, but to um, make our communities what they need to be. So um, I love everything I do about it. 
I agree with you 100%. And um, Amanda definitely echoed that too. And I think that's a lot of us in public library land. We kind of fall into public libraries from different places. And I think that really speaks to the interdisciplinary nature of what public libraries are in our community. So I always love it when there's such a diverse background in leadership. And we hear that in this uh, between the two of you today. So that's really great. To kind of shift into our topic today to talk about going fine free, I'd love to know both of your perceptions about what the purpose of fines are for public libraries. So, um, Philip, if you would um, share what you believe is the purpose of kind of library fines today. Sure, sure. So uh, this is a hot topic. Uh, <laughs> it's why we're here. <laughs> it's one I talk about a lot, um, whether I'm talking to, uh, you know, my, my funding authorities or my board, or, or I'm talking to the press or I'm talking to Rotary Club or Kiwanis the idea of library fines is so ingrained in the idea of libraries for people. And the problem is that library fines have never done what people thought they did. They thought it encouraged people to bring books back. Turns out right. human beings are not rational creatures. There's a book called Predictably Irrational. And I love this book. You ought to go check it out. If you haven't, please go check it out. There's a scenario in the book in which this daycare is getting tired of parents dropping their kids off late for daycare. So in order to stop parents from dropping their kids off late, they implement a fine for dropping your child off late. What they find is that more parents begin dropping their kids off late rather than on time because they have shifted what was an ethical moral decision. They've shifted it into a financial decision. And so suddenly those that had money were like, oh, my kid can be late, it's fine. Turns out the exact same thing happens with library books. People see library fines as incentive to bring books back. Some people actually see it as punitive, like we're teaching these people responsibility. Right. And you could not be further from the truth. You can't, that, that's not our role. And so you've got to shift that mentality. Instead, what library fines are, and I realize that wasn't the question, but this gets me on this topic. Instead, That's okay. <laughs> instead, what library fines really are, are barriers to service for lower socioeconomic households. For example, at both library systems that I've been a directory in, we capped our fines at $5, like per book. Right. But how many kids check out one book? You've got a kid that checks out mm -hmm. 10 books, then misplaces them, loans them to a friend without telling the mom, and so suddenly you've got these 10 books that are all overdue, up to $50 worth of fines, and suddenly $50 worth of fines, sure to a household that makes $90,000 a year, that's not that big a deal. It's a big deal. It's not a huge deal. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a household that's even close to the Mississippi median, it, you're suddenly, right. you're talking about a household that makes under, under $30,000 a year. So in some most cases, in some communities, less than $20,000 a year. That $50 is the difference between those kids eating for a couple of weeks. And in the Delta, we actually saw, and I've seen this in other areas, but especially in the Delta, we saw households not even getting cards for their kids because they were scared of library fines. Exactly. And so yeah. big problem. Yeah. Tanya, um, you know, is there what what about you? Your, the purpose of library fines? And you can continue to talk about kind of the message that you feel like they send. Yeah, so that's um, exactly what Philip said. You know, it's really about perspective. The idea behind it originally, or for most people as well, it, it makes sure people bring the books back. 
you know, and I'm a rule follower. So I'm one of those people like, oh, there's going to be a fine. So I have to get it back on time. But, you know, we know that things happen in life and things don't always come back on time. It's not always possible. But, you know, I actually had to be to come to the the realization about fine free and really had to think it was something I had to think about. And I really had to do a lot of um, research and, but it was just more and more exactly what Philip was saying. The idea that really it's keeping people from coming to your library, but what really made a difference is when I had people on my own staff say, you know, I loved the library when I was a kid, but, you know, I couldn't come often enough. I was only allowed to get one book or I was only allowed to do this because my family couldn't afford to pay for a late fine or something. That was a big eye opener for, for me because I never thought I, I was one of those that thought of it as well. It keeps, you know, people from taking all your stuff and then they bring it back. But I think for me, because I have the background of working in a school library and working with younger children and knowing that things happen and you start off and you're very strict and, but then you realize, you know, my job is to get people in here and to get them to use these resources and to let, you know, they need this library. They need these books. They need to use the computer. They, they're here for a reason. That's my mission. My mission isn't to punish somebody because they kept a book a couple of days late. I want people to use the library and these fines are doing the exact opposite of what I, I think that they need to do. It's keeping them from being able to do it. So it was really a sort of a process and understanding what the fines really do and, and coming to that realization. It helped having been in the school setting and seeing that not all kids come from equal homes. And, you know, for some, that was not a big deal. You know, I'll just keep it as long as I want because someone's going to be able to pay that fine. Whereas for others, well, I won't even take a book. And so, and that's just heartbreaking to think that, you know, there are kids out there that aren't coming to the library because their parents can't afford to pay, you know, a fine. We see this in, in several different ways in the library because you have some people who their question is, well, why do people come to, I just go to the Barnes and Noble and get whatever book I want. Or, you know, why do people check out books? You know, do they still check out books from the library? And it's sort of like, yes, not everyone comes from your situation. It's great that you can go to a bookstore and buy whatever book that you need or have the resources at your disposal, but that's not the story of a lot of your neighbors and the people in your community. They can't run off to the bookstore. They don't have internet. It it translates into so many things that we deal with, whether it's, you know, public computers and internet access. Um, We see it in so many ways. And again, it's just important that, that we realize that. So that got off topic again, but (laughs) no, but it is, it's all part of what we have service wise. So it definitely yes. speaks to that. It's not just the ability to buy a book, but it's the ability to drive to go buy a book and all of these yeah. other things that we see in our communities because we see everybody in our community. You know, what we realized is that the fines are completely contrary to the message that and to the mission that we have. Our message that we want to convey to the community is that everyone is welcome here. And our mission is to serve everybody who walks through our doors, whatever their need is, whether it's, I need a copy, or I need to learn how to use a computer, or I need help um, applying for a job, or whatever it is, 
that's what we're here for. And so, um, you know, just realizing that having the fines was completely contrary to that. Yeah. I would love to, for you both to explain what your current fine policy is at your library system. Philip, if you would um, share what your current fine policy is in Starkville. Sure. We have no overdue fines at all. So people can check out any materials they want. If they return it late, they return it late. We understand. That plays into some things I'm sure we're going to talk about later, so I'm not going to try to jump topics too quick. But so people uh, check out materials, they bring it back, they bring it back late. Now we are part of a larger partnership. Uh, we're part of the Mississippi Library Partnership. And so not all of our libraries in our partnership are fine free. So if they borrow from certain libraries, if it comes from certain systems, there are still gonna be fines. But we do explain to our patrons, this isn't our fine. This is this other library systems fine that will get remitted to them to pay for this overdue fine. But if it comes from our system or the other libraries in our partnership that are also fine free, and there are a few at this point, then there will be no overdue fines. I think that's just the simplest, easiest system. If you never return it, you know, it becomes declared lost. Uh, you owe to replace the book if you lose it. But if you find it and return it to us, we're good. We're ready to go. Great. Thank you. Yeah, no, that was going to be my follow-up question is what about lost materials? But thank you. You've addressed that. Yeah, our, our policy is the same. It, it's exactly the same. So we do not charge for any um, overdue or late fees. You're only responsible if the item is lost or damaged beyond repair. That can depend on the circumstances too of how, how it became so damaged. So otherwise there are no fines, no fees. Great. We have talked a little bit about what barriers fines create. Is there anything else either of you would like to add that we haven't kind of already touched on what barriers do fines create in libraries prior to, in your libraries prior to going to fine free? Philip, if you would go first. Sure. We're by far not the first library system ever to go fine free. We're not the biggest library system to ever go fine free. Uh, there are some libraries who took in hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in late fines who have gone fine free. I know there are people out there who genuinely believe the library is run on late fines. And it couldn't be further from the truth. It's less than 1% of the operating budget of most library systems. It's, it's funding that you can absolutely get out of your system and not really hurt too bad. And some systems may have to make some adjustments, but I find that beyond the financial punitive nature of it on patrons i think the pu public perception that fines create and that's not something any ind one individual library is going to fix there's going to constantly be those problems but i think that is irreparable damage that can't be measured because people have this developed this negative connotation of the public library i won't mention the system or the person but in one of my past systems we had a patron who was a librarian by degree, did not work in a library anymore, and she was vehemently anti-late uh, fine. I can remember her owing like a $1.50, $2 late fine, something like that, and coming in with two hands full of pennies and dropping them on the counter and walking away as her statement about how she felt about late fines, and I loved her. In the end, the research, even in these bigger library systems, you find getting rid of fines predictably, irrationally, has the opposite effect on returning books. We find that more people return their books on time. Wait time for holds went down instead of up. People held them less time. And I think that is 
all completely because as a whole, people want to be responsible for their library books. They check out books so they can come back and get another book and another book and another book. You take away the financial thing that messes with people's heads. It turns this leisure into financial decision making. I, I think those kinds of barriers, like just the public perception and the way people think of libraries is, is a barrier that having fines creates as well. Mm -hmm. Tanya, is there anything you would like to add about barriers? Yeah, so I think it really translates into customer service and public relations. Whereas before my staff spent a lot of time saying, oh, your, your books are late, you owe this much money. And there was a lot of explanation about, oh no, they were due on, you know, generally a lot of back and forth there. But now the, those conversations center on someone saying, oh, but isn't it late? Don't I owe you anything? Nope, you don't owe us anything. We don't have any. Oh, thank you so much. You know, it, it really changes the dynamic that you have with your patrons when they're no longer almost scared to bring it back, you know, that, that image. And it's more of, I'm, you know, this is why we're here. We're here to serve you. And, you know, you needed these things and now they're back and now, you know, go get whatever else you need. So it's been a very positive, um, a really positive impact on customer service, public relations. You know, it wasn't just um, fines keeping people from coming in the first place. It was when they came and they realized they had kept their books too late, they didn't want to come back. But now they'll come back because, you know, most of our patrons who come to the library they're not coming just one time and they're done. They want to continue to come back. And that one experience of coming in and having someone say, you know, your books are late and you and, and feeling that sort of a reprimand puts a stop to that. And, and this just has changed that whole dynamic. It's like, oh, I am welcome here and I can come and, and I'm not going to get in trouble just because. So, um, you know, I, I think it's been it's been great. We have seen it in so many in so many ways. Yeah, I, I would agree you know, that that aspect of shame that people feel yeah. when something is late and the perception that we as librarians want to tell people, give us money for a late fine, like no librarian ever really, I think, relishes telling somebody that they owe a fine or a fee because we're all in a public service aspect. And so, you know, I always think about that teenager, like you mentioned, Tanya, that maybe had a bunch of DVDs. And if it's a dollar a day for DVDs, and like Philip said, it's $5 cap on everything, that's that's $25. And you've got a teen that doesn't come back to the library and all of a sudden they're 21, 22, and they've got a baby of their own or, you know, and they're not bringing their kid to the library because they're scared about that fine or fee that they had five years ago. When right. they, you know, you know, adults who are afraid to come because when they were a kid got a fine and, you know, something that as a child, it's not really your responsibility. You know, you can't drive yourself to the library and you can't help that someone else had to work late and couldn't get you there on time. I really think that this is something that that we'll see more of. To give you a, a more concrete story, my mom, when she was a late teen, checked out some library books. They got lost. And rather than face the librarian, she never went back. She was in her late 50s. When I started working in the library, she was sure that she was on some blacklist somewhere and was never allowed to come back in the library because she'd lost these books when she was a teenager. And she, I had to explain to her, on no. on her permanent record. Exactly. Like we had our picture posted somewhere like they do bad checks in restaurants. <laughs> you know, you've seen that where they put them on the backboard. Don't take a check from these people. No. And so 
Tanya, you touched on another thing that's really important that people ought to realize. The time it takes for staff to deal with and process overdue fines is worth more than the fines they're taking in. So you're actually making sure. money by getting rid of fines. Yeah, definitely. Tanya, was there anything you wanted to echo with what Philip just said? No, I think I think he's exactly right. I mean, you know, the staff time is 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 huge in that. And and Philip mentioned earlier that late fees are a very small part of most library budgets. When we put pencil to paper, it was less than half a percent of our budget. And that was in part um, because we had made an effort to reduce the amount of late fees and fines that we were trying to collect by giving people automatic renewals and, you know, people forget or people are out of town or they have an emergency or something. So when we instituted some of the other, you know, efforts to try to, to deal with that by just doing automatic renewals and giving a grace period and sending friendly reminders, you know, automatic emails to remind people that in itself was a huge reduction. So ultimately when we went find free, it represented such a small, small portion of our budget that it was an easy decision to make. Yeah. Um, I guess we kind of touched on this, but if there's anything else you want to add to what made your system really consider going fine free, um, Tanya, why don't you know what made your system consider going fine free? It was something that we had been talking about for quite a while. We had several members of my staff who are very much kind of led the charge and advocating for it. I have one staff member who had been in a different library system that was fine free. I had staff members who had had bad experiences. I guess if anything good happened last year, when we closed because of COVID and when the library system had to make such a change and not having people in and doing curbside and, and people just were not getting out, one of the first things that we did is we suspended fines and fees and we let our patrons know, okay, you know, we're going to temporarily closed until we know more information. And then when we open back up, we continued to do that, that there was no, there were no late fees. We renewed people's materials. And really it was almost um, a test run for us. Our board decided that, okay, we're going to suspend those fees for a certain amount of time. And then they extended it through the end of the year. This spring, it was like, you know, we've been doing this for a year. And over this year, We've not seen a rash of books being checked out, not coming back. Nobody's come in and checked out their limit and run off and never returned. We haven't seen a rash of suddenly lost books or, you know, extremely late. If anything, we've actually seen just the opposite. You know, I ran the numbers today. I didn't compare them to a year ago because a year ago, things were all strange. But if comparing them to two years ago, pre-COVID, the numbers, you know, as far as overdues, it's a third of what they used to be. And, you know, as far as the number of lost books, it's really about the same. Budget-wise, we didn't see that huge impact because we had taken into account the other measures. And it, like I said, it was less than half a percent of our budget. So for us, that was a good trial run for us. And it was easy to say, let's make this a permanent thing because it's been good for our patrons. It's been a you know great, like I said, customer service and public relations, and it hasn't had a negative impact. We cannot find anything that would tell us not to do that. So that's really um, how we came to 
the decision of making it permanent. It gave us yeah. a good trial run and it was easy for, and the board finally said, you know what, you're right. The library didn't fall apart, you know, because of it. We weren't emptied of all of our materials and it was easy to point to and say, hey, we're our, our own self-study and I think we can sustain this. So, Yeah. And it is like, I don't want to diminish. It is a very big step and a huge shift in historical practices of public libraries. So I do understand when boards are a little hesitant about it. So it's really great that your board was willing to do a test run and see the impact and then make an informed decision. I think that's really great. Philip, I know that you mentioned you had gone fine free with a system previous to where you are in Starkville, but uh, what made Starkville library system consider going fine free? So my beginnings in wanting to go fine free, uh, we'll go back a little further though, was from working in the Delta uh, and seeing how dramatically fines affected those who needed library service the most. You know, if I, I wasn't in library administration at the time, my director there I know is very pro going fine free as well. And so I was in an environment where I could sort of explore it. Uh, I, I didn't ever have a someone over me in libraries that was like hardcore gung-ho fine. There are librarians out there who are hardcore gung-ho fines and and my goal is to change every single one of their minds, one by one. But so when I went to another library system, implemented library fines, it was a mind shift. I had to explain, I had to explain it like I'm explaining it now. Let's explain it financially, how this isn't productive to us. And then we'll talk about it on a PR mindset. So by the time I interviewed for the job here in Starkville, I actually interviewed with a bunch of members from the board of trustees. And they asked me about fine free because they knew I had gone fine free in my previous system. By the end of my interview, I had convinced them to go fine free. So really us going fine free was an inevitability here in Starkville. We were going to yeah. do it. We just didn't know how soon because you never know how your funding authorities are going to take it when you decide because they don't understand yet. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, and I don't mind saying, you know, I don't even want to call it a silver lining because there is no silver lining to the COVID pandemic, but it did give us an opportunity like Tanya to, to completely get rid of fines here in Starkville. And then just the board decided to keep it that way. They voted to, to keep it that way once we got rid of fines because we had already sorted to make that mindset anyway. So we had already made that shift and we're ready to go. But the, the seeds for wanting to go fine free go way, way back to my early days in libraries, which is, you know, 10 years ago now at this point. And I, my, my one and only regret is that in my previous library system, we weren't the first library system to go find free in Mississippi. We were second. Uh, uh, you've both touched a little bit about creating buy-in with your library administration and your board of trustees. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add about creating buy-in either with, within your board or your staff or in the community in general? Tanya? With some of my staff, I have some people who are like me, very type A, and this is these are the rules and we have to follow that. So you have to work on that and you really just have to have a clear argument, like Philip said, and present them with the facts, you know, because we all have that mindset. These are the rules. This is what those rules do. They actually, they're helping us. And you have to really show that, no, these rules are actually a hindrance to our mission. And I wish that I had come to that realization a long time ago, as a, especially as a school librarian. Um, you know, it took me a while 
at first to come to that realization, even in the school setting, that this is not helping my students. This is something that is hurting them, and I need to stop that. And it was a big change for me. But then even when I left the school setting to the public setting, it still took me a while to change that mindset and realize that the same idea translated to the public library setting. So it's just an idea of really shifting that perception of, because we've been told for so long what the fines are for. But I think if you can get in a situation, you can pull together testimonies of other library systems and, and show that this is not the case. That was really key. And like I said, having that scenario for us where it really was here is clear evidence of how it affects our library system. Because um, we can tell local people, well, this is how they do it, you know, in New York or California or wherever. But when you can bring it local mm -hmm. and bring it home, that is so important. And you can really show that, no, it's, this isn't about how they do it somewhere. This is about how we do it here. And these are, this is our community and these are our patrons. Exactly, yeah. Tanya. It's a very good point. Um, Philip, what about you? Did, um, how did you create buy-in with your staff, with the community? So I tell people all the time, and, and I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there. I'm a bad librarian. I'm a terrible librarian. I can't tell you a single book on the bestseller list right now. I have no idea, no clue. Because as much as I love reading and I love books, I, 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 I'm a niche reader, but I got into libraries because I'm a big believer in community and economic development. And so to create that buy-in with any kind of community building, you've got to make your message relatable to the different audiences you're talking to. You need to understand who you're talking to, especially when, like Fine Free, I believe the message is right. I'm trying to get people to understand and I'm communicating in their preferred method of communication. And so if a person is a person like Tanya, who is type A, I'm totally not type A. You've got to present the facts. You've got to explain this is what it's doing. Here's the quantifiable, measurable methods in which it is creating this. And maybe more so than type A, if somebody is not an intuitive, like a big picture person, which is okay, it's totally all right. We don't need all big picture people. But then you can go to those people like me and you start talking about the non-tangibles, the goodwill, the, the PR, the, the mindset, the building of community and, and bringing people together for it. I think that's a, a major, major aspect of it, just knowing how to communicate it to everyone involved. And, you know, in, in my prior system, I had some people who the buy-in was a little harder for them. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes people just need to see the results. And, and sometimes those people, you just have to approach them and say, hey, well, let's try it. And so just give it a shot. Here's, here's what I think we'll see. And then give it, give it a try. And if you don't like it, you can always revert and go back to fines if you need to. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know of a single library system that has done that, but I imagine you could. Right. Um, and this kind of abuts our next question. Um, and Philip, I'll go to you first. Have you experienced any pushback to the change in policy? I wouldn't say any serious pushback. There's there's a little comment here and there, maybe somebody who doesn't quite get it. I did have a prior board member at a different library system say, well, I really think we should just be teaching these people to be responsible. But ultimately, she came around as well. She she saw the results. She saw the, you know, what was happening. And she said, I didn't think this would work. 
She said, and I still don't understand how it works, but it works. That's about the most pushback I've gotten it from patron, staff, board, anyone. Tanya, have you experienced any pushback um, since changing your policy? No, nothing more than a few offhanded comments. But, you know, again, it's because it wasn't understood and it was thought to be this massive amount of money and how, you know, that's how, how, how is the library going to, to operate? So it, it's not been anything that, that would make us even think about going back because clearly the results have been, you know, the proof themselves. So, yeah. Um, Great. Have either of you tried any sort of alternatives for patrons to reduce fines prior to going to fine free things like reading them down or doing food drives or anything like that? Tanya? Yes, that was something that we always did every year at different parts uh, or different times of the year, whether it was during the holidays, doing the food drive or during National Library Week, during the doing the read down. And we'll still continue to do that for people who have lost materials. But that's still it's not an effective way to get rid of the stigma of the fines. Like I said, the biggest thing for us was when we started doing automatic renewals and sending reminders and and really making an effort that actually resolve the situation. That's, again, like I said, that's something that we would, would continue to do, but I think this is, is a much better solution. Yeah, and I love that you are using that aspect to help people if they've lost materials. I think that's, that's really great. The more readers, the better. <laughs> Here's the thing. Our libraries are operated on, on tax dollars. You know, these materials belong to the people. They belong to the community and things happen. So we try to, to be very understanding. We try to work with people and, and be realistic and just look at, at each situation. And we don't have any circumstances where it's the same person losing, you know, tons of books all the time and they're hoarding them in their house. You know, that's not what's going on here. Life is happening and people are, you know, going to grandma's house and their child is losing a book underneath the couch and that, you know, three months from now will be found. These are, are, are things that we can take into account. We can, we know our patrons and um, if we don't, we need to. And we really need to understand that they're part of our community and we need to treat them that way, treat them as our neighbor and and really treat them the way that we would want to be, which is to be understanding. Yeah, exactly. Philip, um, have you tried any sort of alternatives to things before going fine free? Uh, we have, uh, I have, I've done read down for fines. We've done food drives to get rid of fines. And I'm gonna say something controversial, which will surprise nobody who knows me. I don't like them. I, I don't like reading down for fines. I don't like food drives for fines. I don't like anything like that. And I'll tell you why. So I went to Catholic elementary school. And the one and only time I got dimension, detention in Catholic elementary school, my punishment was to sit in the library and write the dictionary. You know what it taught me to do? Hate the library and hate writing. I think when we start turning activities into punitive activities, like reading to get rid of your fine, I think it does a something to our psychological viewpoint of reading. It's something I have to do now because I have a fine. It's the library equivalent of making someone wash the dishes because they couldn't pay for dinner. And it's controversial. I realize I'm way outlier on this opinion, but I would much rather, as you said at the end there, Tanya, is 
let's just be understanding. Let's find some other way that we can do this without making the thing we want people to do and enjoy doing, making it a punishment. Don't make it a punishment. I think that is the flip side of rewarding someone for reading and which then turns it into a chore and work. And so we shouldn't reward them. We shouldn't punish them either way. So um, I think that, and I think that's a realization that a lot of us are coming into as well. That Some of the programs that we've thought were so great because it rewarded really turned it into a chore for those who it already was a chore. It was even a bigger chore now because I'm not getting a reward because I didn't do as much as this other person over here. I did as much as I could, but I didn't compare to this other person. So um, that's a whole other podcast. Um, but, I would uh, agree. Yeah. <laughs> it makes, but, it, it yeah. made me think about required reading. Um, and I, yeah. I talked about this with Amanda that, you know, I was never a big reader in school. And doing required reading made me hate reading. And it wasn't until later in life when I could really just read for pleasure that I began to really enjoy reading. I always used my library for other services that we provide, internet, films, programming, things like that. But that kind of aspect of a punishment, which I know required reading, it's part of school and all of that. But we've all seen that when a kid comes into a library, they grab a book and then mom says, no, you can't have that because it's not X reading level (laughs) or it's not on why list or you know those kinds of things and again that is a whole nother podcast conversation and and the whole conversation about rewarding reading is the dark side of summer reading programs yes Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah what benefits have you seen philip um since changing your fine policy uh books come back faster and more often Mm -hmm. another one and and a point that i make to everyone is that again I'm not going to quote the studies. You can go out and find them. They're really easy to find. Madison, Wisconsin, Denver, Colorado, Memphis, Tennessee. All these libraries have gone fine free, and they've put out their bigger statistics for you to see. I will tell you that you see them at every level, not just these big systems, but you see those exact same results in almost the exact same percentages in smaller systems. And one of those major things is those that are going to abuse their library privileges are going to abuse the library privileges, whether there are fines or not. It's just what they're going to do. And, you know, it's once again, I'm a little understanding. I don't know their situation. There could be all sorts of reasons that could be happening that causes that person to never return materials. It just is what it is. And I'm not saying completely like just ignore it, but we have other systems in place for it besides fines. They check out five DVDs and never return them. Well, their privileges are suspended. It's real simple. You know, abusing library privileges is sort of a one-time thing if, if the system, if the records are kept. But the advantages we've seen is that materials come back sooner. Hold lists have gone down. We have seen a major uptick in children checking out materials. And that's a big, big deal. And I think by getting rid of fines, we're seeing so many more kids reading than ever before. Yeah, that's a great point. Tanya, uh, what benefits have you seen since going fine-free in Madison County? Looking at the at the stats, of course, we're not comparing them to last year, but comparing them just to two years ago, just in overdues alone, the fact that we're sending out a third of what we used to send out. I mean, that tells us, you know, all we need to know there. We have seen, you know, such a positive impact, especially, I just cannot emphasize enough on our relationship with 
the public and how the interactions at the circ desk go and how that is for my staff and that's that's just huge for us and and it's this idea of instead of this fear or this uh, I kind of prepare for an argument it's like oh thank you so much I appreciate that someone is understanding and is not trying to to punish them but it's just like okay no problem and it's just really changed the entire dynamic so that's been great for us you know anything that we can do that makes people feel welcome and to want to come back that's really the goal of your customer service is to make people want to come back and that's that's really gone a long way for us and and having people come in and feel like it's their library and they can use it that's important to us Mm-hmm. And and that's a big thing about public libraries is your public library is for your community. And if you aren't mm-hmm. serving your community to the best of your ability, then your public isn't going to be using your services. It's, it's really that easy. Tanya, wh- what do you think the future of finds in Mississippi public libraries is? I think Philip is right. I think more people, more library systems are going to move towards this. It's happening slowly, but as each one of us makes that that decision. Other libraries have more evidence to point to, and it's local evidence. It's, hey, my neighboring county is doing that. Oh, you know, I can go next door to this other county. And that's what's really, I think, will will push it is that for patrons to be able to say, or for other librarians to say, well, the library's over here, or the library's in our group. And I know that more and more are talking about if you just look back just a few years ago compared to now. And I think we'll see that trend continue to increase as long as, um, you know, they have the positive experiences of other libraries to point towards. Yeah, I hope so. Philip, what about you? What, what What's the future of fines in Mississippi Public Libraries? Hopefully nil. I'm not a big believer in absolutes, and I don't like to say things like all and none, because that's almost never the situation. I think there's I think there's inevitably going to be some systems that hold out in the state of Mississippi. I think there's going to ultimately be some boards that don't see it, that, that don't get it. There are going to be some boards that just look at that number next to under revenue. I'm going to air quotes that listeners uh, on their budget sheet next to late fines. And they're going to say, Oh, we can't, we can't lose that money. But I think we're going to see more and more and more. Every time I go and talk to a library system, uh, about going find free. I've offered to come and talk to boards and explain the find free and why it's such a good move for public libraries. Every time I've talked to someone, I've yet to have someone walk away once presented with this information and say, oh yeah, we still need to do fines. Most library systems in Mississippi are going to go ultimately find free. Uh, I'm just starting with the Mississippi Library Partnership. My goals get all of them find free so that our patrons will never see an overdue fine. That 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 may be a struggle for a couple of those systems, but I think we'll get there. It may be 10, 20, 25, 30 years down the road, but it's, it's going to get there. Is there anything else either of you would like to add to the conversation about going fine free? I will add the, the last thing that I think is most important, and this is to library directors and boards of trustees that still have a hesitation because of the money on that budget. If you are budgeting based on your overdue fine collection, you're not budgeting. That money cannot be trusted. That is not reliable operating expense. You cannot trust that that money is going to be there. Look at last year. So first of all, stop budgeting it. Mm-hmm. That's your first step to go and find free. Operate on the money you had that's more consistent. 
and then you'll start to see that we probably could get rid of this and get more service to, to our our patrons. I think that opens up another another podcast subject about funding your libraries so that fines are not something that they see as revenue and something that they have to have. If they're relying on that, your issue isn't overdue books, your issue is funding. But yes, overdue fines and fees should not determine your budget. Well, I want to thank everybody for for joining us today to talk about going fine free in our public libraries in Mississippi. So thank you. And everybody else, uh, please come back and, and listen to more podcasts from the Mississippi Library Commission. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. We hope you will tune in next time, and we encourage you to visit your local public library office.